new media cup, the new official title of the currently unnamed podcast. I'm coming to you not live today with Tim. Can't believe we're getting on you. <laughs> Hello. Famous. Hola. Chloe. Yep, that's me. And I'm your official podcast host, Jesse. <laughs> I'm getting cooed. <laughs> How are we doing, everybody? Uh, I'm all right. Just all right? I'm all right. You know, today was a particularly good day, so I'll say good for once in my life. <laughs> I've never heard you say that. Positive <laughs> Tim. Positive Tim. Positive Tim. <laughs> You're glowing. <laughs> what happened today? Why was today good? The thing that I helped teach, uh, we went some, we sort of went on a bit of a field trip and uh, taught the kids uh, a particular medical procedure uh, that you can sort of teach kids. Not at like a, you know, a sophisticated level, but you know. CPR? Chest compressions? No, they did sutures oh. on bananas. <laughs> oh, bananas. whoa. Yeah, they, uh, you just put a cut in it and then you teach them how to like fill it back up. Wow. I was never taught that. Me neither. Dr. Tim? Dr. Tim. I'm teaching the technology portion of it. Was it with robot hands? Uh, no. I'm going to do one day of circuitry, but most of it's just going to be like media philosophy or uh, tech philosophy. I'm very. Well, how did the confused. banana come into play? Yeah. Why? Because it's, it's designed for like uh, kids who are trying to get into STEM. Yeah, but why in your class are you discussing sutures? Uh, that's not my the week I'm teaching. It goes. Oh. So there's three sections. Everyone gets two weeks. Uh, this was the uh, the dental week. Um, so. Ah. And you're like the weird uncle music teacher that lives in in the garage and teaches them about the remote. More or less, I'm gonna use Max MSP to teach them about programming. So. Nice. Hanyu, how's your day going? My day? Yeah. Mm, it's been alright. I stay up too late last night because you know sometimes you had the you have the urge of getting something done out of nowhere. You just start to staying up really late. Went to bed around eight, I think. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's dang. Yeah, now wasted like a lot of. I think like at least two hours in front of my desk just trying to contact all these different um, doctors and trying to get accepted as new patient but everyone is like our earliest appointment is in November <laughs> you know? Dang. Yeah. And you're like sorry I'm going to be sleeping that day <laughs> I've been on a wait list for my dentist for a year now oh my god just to get an appointment <laughs> Rice. I know. Last year, I uh, sought help from this, um, what do you call it, like, like counseling service or, or mental health facility, some, mm-hmm. something like that. And I contact them. They said they're very, very busy and they have very long wait lists. So, like, am I interested in putting my name on it? I was like, sure. And then um, I waited exactly a year. Um, and by the time they call me back, I already forgot what they are. <laughs> Wait, sorry, what? 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 Wait Who are you? I'm on a wait list of what? <laughs> How were you feeling the day they called you? Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not encouraging. Uh... Speechless, physically. 
Um, no, like, know. what if you were in a great mood that day, having a great day, and it was like, you clearly didn't need them. That's just mania. <laughs> this is only temporary, I swear, guys. Well, speaking of mania, uh, Hanyu, how was Pink Flamingos? Could you give us some of your political beliefs? Kill everyone now! Condone first-degree murder! Advocate cannibalism! Eat shit! Filth are my politics! Filth is my life! Oh, it's so awesome! It's so awesome. I watched it the first time when I was 13 years old, which was... Two... What? Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's what? <laughs> I know. How'd you come across that as well, a 13 year old? Thing. Like, when you are on the internet? <laughs> oh god, that's what? where you ended up? <laughs> you yeah. just end up with that kind of, like, shitty list some asshole put together and <laughs> saying, oh, these are the most notorious films in history mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're all banned and of course as a young teenager you want to watch all of i have a memory of like coming across a three hour long video of just fighting game finishers and i watched the entire thing in one sitting mm -hmm. like not even getting up to go to the bathroom Whoa. and you know i think that's like changed the person who i am today you know greatly influenced it <laughs> We have a professor, a beloved professor, who has a film that is listed for National Film Registry uh, with the Library of Congress, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning their film is so culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant that it needs to be preserved in the eyes of the country for all time. Mm -hmm. I thought we had the discussion before, and I brought and up that Busty Mills 4 is also in the Library right. of Congress. And I'm like, wow, that's really, that's a legacy. That's amazing. That is important. And I'm just now reading that Pink Flamingos is also selected for the same thing. So good job. <laughs> Your film is as good as Pink Flamingos. <laughs> now Tim has to bleep that. Now you're just creating more work for Tim. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm here. I swear I'm almost done with the next one. I love her. But yeah, Pink Flamingos is awesome. I haven't actually seen it. Actually, I don't know if I've seen any John Waters. Oh, about oh, it. sorry. I forgot to mention I watched it in the theater. That's why. Like, what? Oh, where? That's awesome. It's the 50-year anniversary of the film, yep. I ah. guess. So uh, I watched it in, in North Park. The audience wasn't very huge, actually. It's like mm. probably a quarter or something like that. I forgot. And it's also very late, so... Who knows? <laughs> it's bigger than it was when it came out. I mean, it's supposed to be late, 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 um, what do you call that in midnight? Um, oh, midnight movie? Yes, yes. It was originally that, right? We need to do more with North Park. Shout out to North Park. Mm -hmm. I went there yesterday, actually. <laughs> I've never oh! been. What did you watch? Uh, oh, God. I don't even know if I want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't know if it's on the docket. <laughs> Uh, Metal Skin Panic Maddox 01. Okay, so this was an anime. Uh, it was an OVA, and it was maybe the dumbest fucking thing I've seen in my entire life, and it rocked. <laughs> I loved it. Um, it had an absolutely kick-ass soundtrack that sounded like it was made by a Sega Genesis. Um, the raddest rock filtered through, uh, a Sega Genesis, um, that could be made. Um... The story was more or less like a dude just kind of finds a mech, uh, and then there's another angry dude who hates the mech uh, <laughs> and wants it gone from the army. Sounds very anime-ish. Uh, and so he, like, tries to kill him, but the guy who finds the mech is also, like, 
he recently broke up with his girlfriend, and uh, she's going to go to England. Uh, and she said, oh, you need to meet me on the 50th floor of this tower uh, before I leave. And so he's he tries to, like, go to the top of the tower and meet her while fighting this, this, this tank, this air tank thing. Um, it was insanely stupid, and I loved every minute of it. I went into it with zero expectations because my friend told me that it was just like an OVA or an anime that was like uh, made in the 80s and then not translated until recently. Um, but afterwards, um, it was only like 40, 40, 45 minutes long as OVAs tend to be short. Uh, but afterwards, there was like an interview with the guy who was like the, the CEO of the translation company. The first half of the interview was maybe like the worst interview I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Uh, I was I was bursting out laughing like the entire time. It was hard to hold anything in. Uh, the dude like he got his mom to help him like ship the anime that he was like selling that he like licensed, but like his mom would only do so if she approved of the anime that was being shipped in particular. So he mm -hmm. had to like run it past her. Hard sell. Well, that's he like one of the questions was well why don't you do hentai? And <laughs> he said it's boring, but also my mom doesn't like it. Um, what? One of the dumbest interviews I've ever seen in my life. But then it turned out that he was important because he made, like, the fucking Wizardry series. If you, if any of you have heard of, like, Wizardry 8, which is a semi-important game. He apparently was, like, one of the first person to, to like, encode subtitles on, uh, on anime. One of the first people to translate Japanese films into English and have, like, a, a, a subtitle through, like, a computer done at all uh and apparently he came across stuff like uh toshiro mifune films like samurai films and like uh uh oh god what's it called um the famous samurai series uh like cub and something yeah just like a very weird weird thing to see uh especially because after like 40 minutes it was, it was like oh i guess the movie's over uh i paid 12 dollars for this but you know that's kind of the gamble you take with North Park sometimes when you go in blind. Um, only the second weirdest thing I've seen at North Park. What was the first weirdest thing? He was hanging, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first weirdest thing was another time that I went blind. Uh, I went with a different friend, and we went to something that sounded interesting. And it turned out it was a compilation of just, like, car accidents from Russia um, <laughs> that were, like, dash cam footage. Oh, my God. Oh, I love watching those YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So that's what it takes to get into North Park? It was literally just, like, YouTube videos. Oh, my God. That's... And then, like, the the ending credits was, like, the default credits for iMovie at the end. What? And we got there kind of late, so we were just, like, sitting there for, like, 20 minutes out of, like, a 30-minute-long movie. And then it just ended. And, like, oh, okay, I guess it's over. I'm going to be honest, Tim. This seems like the perfect Tim film. <laughs> I, in I was confused. <laughs> But I enjoy I enjoyed it. It was it's, it was fun. It sounds amazing to me. Like I always imagine how it would like to watch TikTok videos in theater. It kind of was like that, yeah. Wow. I think the most I've ever enjoyed, like TikTok, and Vine stuff, is when a bunch of people are watching together. I would love to see like a TikTok compilation in a theater. Like it'll probably be really cringy. But I think the community effect would play a huge role. Um, no. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, uh, so when I was in um, undergraduate, uh, I was a uh, RA, and one of the things that they put on during like training 
uh, was like a compilation video of like vines that we all watched together in a room for some reason. I don't even know what mm-hmm. the training session was for. I, th- I think it was active shooter training, and somehow we got on to like watching vines. So apparently something went wrong in this training. <laughs> Let's liven it up a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone else was. Like Jesse, like mesmerized with the concept of watching Vines together as a group and like critiquing it in real time. And I was like, I am bored out of my mother effing mind. Why are we doing this? I don't understand this concept of or, or the content. Why is this happening? Maybe it's just me, but I, I don't I don't enjoy group social media. I find that weird. But yeah, it it, it was weird. I, I I I was very baffled and all I wanted was another bagel. <laughs> they had free bagels. You went for the bagels. Yeah. Is this like a morning thing? No, it was like 2.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, I went to a morning show once. Oh, really? Yeah. Which, Me too. which one? Uh, well, it was a, it was a concert. Uh, and they wanted oh, to a novelty. Yeah, okay, okay. So did anyone hear about Sugar City before they closed? What is Sugar oh, City? Oh, is that the punk... Um, yeah, incu- yeah. Mm-hmm. like a punk incubator mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, more or less. Um, not the location that they just left, but they had a location before then. Uh, apparently, they had really good acoustics there, so they got bought out, or their landlord sold the property to like a chamber music orchestra or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that location uh, was in Allentown, and we went there at like six in the morning, me and a friend. Um, you know, waited around, and then you know we. Saw like a few bands, you know. They brought out breakfast. You know, we had a had a good time. Show was like you know five ten bucks because the punk show, and then you know I was like, all right, it's done. Uh, I guess I'll go home and get ready for work. And then I went to work later that day. Wow. Why are they called Sugar City? It sounds like a place you go to like get waxed. No idea. <laughs> yeah, it does. Can you get waxed there? Not to my knowledge. Hmm. This means you didn't check behind stage. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, they didn't really have a stage. They kind of just had a big room, but man, I miss them. Yeah, I really love Pink Flamingos. <laughs> so, we're not going to talk about the butthole scene, it seems. Oh, that's <laughs> or, or, so or, or funny! Or were we just skating around it? I didn't know that... if we were like trying to TV-13 or not. That is the funniest uh, scene, I think. <laughs> Jesse, you only asked two people how their day was. I feel offended. Chloe, how was your day? I feel offended. <laughs> it was it was pretty good. Pretty chill day. Um yeah, I did my my yoga this morning. Ooh. And um I'm very sore, so it hurt. I've been doing a lot of bike riding um recently, so going to a park and bike riding. Positive really Chloe? Fun. Positive Chloe. Wow. Um, and then I started watching uh, Demon Lover, and I have was interrupted by this podcast. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, so I'm going to be finishing that after this, and I will be telling you guys a little bit about it next time we meet, hopefully. Yeah. Do you end up loving any demons? Um, <laughs> not yet. It's actually, it, it has nothing really to do with <laughs> demons. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> um, That's false advertisement. So you guys would actually 
love it, I feel like. Um, so I'm only like maybe 40 minutes in. Um, as we've already mentioned, soundtrack done by Sonic Youth. But basically what it's about is there's this French corporation um, that is trying to beat out an American web media company for the rights to a 3D manga porn studio. Um, so right now the French are trying to make a deal with uh, the Japanese um, 3D studio and they're all like chatting and stuff but the movie starts out with like um, some espionage which was very fun and thrilling <laughs> but so far it's a very fascinating movie and there's a lot of um it actually show it has several se- I don't know if it's very popular um hentai or something I of course never seen it <laughs> but <laughs> um there's some very explicit scenes that they show from hentai movies so I'm wondering if people who watch hentai would recognize it and could tell me if I should watch <laughs> the full oh movie <laughs> They're going to out themselves this, in the podcast comments. Speak up, y'all. <laughs> this movie. Okay, I've seen the existence of this movie. I've never seen I it. I have seen but... the existence. Yeah, you didn't tell me Demon Lover was one word. That's why I didn't. Demon Lover, it. yes, is one word. Which, that's ridiculous, but. Uh... No, it's an adjective. Who is it describing? Might be the lovers of pornography. Demons. We haven't gotten that far Demons. yet, but you know. Um, is it anti-pornography? No, no, it's definitely pro. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a new French extremity tag, so I assume. Yeah, it's French. Yeah. Come on, it's French. Yeah, yeah, it's French, and it's from two thousand two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but oh, what I French was doing cinema in nineteen seventy-six. Yeah, yeah. The director Olivier Assayas. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Assayas? I'm gonna keep on butchering it. I say it. I've heard different ways. I don't know. Um, but he also has, he works a lot with Kristen Stewart, and it's probably her best work. She's in his movie, Personal Shopper, and Clouds of Sils Maria. Um, but my favorite film of his is Irma Vep. It's from 1996. Mm-hmm. And it That's has him? Ma- Maggie Chung in the lead, and it's just phenomenal. Oh. It's phenomenal. And Irma Vep, if you like you know do the whole like tom riddle in the chamber of secrets it, it it's vampire get it uh-huh tom riddle chamber of secrets hey have you guys heard of that um what's it called that harry potter game they're making yes yeah, so that is on my docket so i was gonna ask you guys if what your thoughts it's like i guess it's gonna be warner brothers big thing for the ps5 it's Hogwarts Legacy, and I was wondering what we think about it, because I watched a playthrough of the demo the other day, and I think it was used um, to demo the PS5 when the PS5 came out, but um, due to some issues or whatever, yeah. the release date's been pushed back. I don't know what kind of issues they've been having, but I don't know if we know about this game and if my video game professionals want to speak on it or anything <laughs> i actually haven't heard of this until now um but i'm also not a i'm not really a harry, potter. harry potter i was gonna say yeah. does this preclude the harry potter people 
I, I uh, I've heard of it. I just forgot about it. Who here is a Harry Potter people? I, I I do know my my British house and I know my American house. That's the extent of my knowledge. There's you have a British one and an American. Yeah, um, British okay. one. I'm a I'm a Slytherin and American one. I'm a Wumpus. The, the the American ones are based off of like Native American mythologies. Ah. Oh. Okay, but did you read and or watch Harry Potter? I've I've seen them all, but um, not of choice. It was more like <laughs> I got roped into it every, every time. But yeah, so I have several of my friends who are really looking forward to this. I don't know. I could take it or leave it, but it's also by Warner Brothers, it looks <laughs> yeah. like, uh, or a Warner Brothers subsidiary, and Warner Brothers tends to not be great. That's what uh, I, the vibe I, yes, I've been getting. Like it's really pushing. They're get, they're definitely putting out like a flagship, like you were saying. Like mm -hmm. I think they're actually putting like a shitload of resources into this. It seems pretty fleshed out, but it also doesn't seem like like there's so many blockbusters nowadays that are really fleshed out, but just don't have good, cooler gameplay. Absolutely. There is so much to do. There's so much to grind. There's so many options, blah, 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 to feel immersed. But what? there's no mechanics that are enjoyable gameplay, you know? Like, and there's no, like, endpoint with a lot of them. Um, I mean, I, I really do think Assassin's Creed ends up being, like, in a lot of ways, the what our contemporary games condition is. Yeah. Wow, that was a terrible. No, no, no. You're phrase. absolutely but, right. Um, no, no, no. But it's like uh, they do like the whole pre-order bonus stuff. They do all the like the the special editions. But like, I'm I'm just I don't know who buys these like three hundred dollar Assassin's Creed editions. I don't know who's like buying all of the DLC and all of the uh, like microtransactions in it. Ubisoft has also just dictated the way that an open world is meant to go at this point. And everyone's copying. I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers yeah. also worked with Ubisoft a lot in gaming. Mm -hmm. And they, like, copy themselves. Like, yeah. Far Cry and Assassin's Creed at this point are, like, more or less the same game with a different setting. And I will say they were very cool when they first launched, but how many fucking games are the same? Like, go climb this tower for a bigger map, you know? I actually don't really like Assassin's Creed 1. I love Assassin's Creed 2. <laughs> Have you been playing Elden Ring, Jesse? I haven't because my PC is still broke. <laughs> I know the exact problem. I'm just not fixing it myself. Um, why? Elden Ring is not super. I mean, we, uh, yes. No, I, I don't really enjoy that much either, but you said go, go climb a tower for a piece of, piece of a map that is Elden Ring. No, it's not. Elden Ring, you just, not you just walk up to it. Way. You're just like, I'm in this part of the map now, so give me the map, you know? Yeah, you you go find the little tower that has the map on it. There's no, it's not even a tower. It's just a, it's like a grave, whatever. But no, what I'm saying is like these games like make part of the game to go discover the map. <laughs> when really that just Ring. means they're limiting. But Elden Ring does it as a skill gap thing. Does it? You, you... Elden Ring has like combat to fall back on, and it has like, I mean, when you start to see the seams, it's annoying. That's actually why I don't really like Oblivion as a game. But yeah. um. I would say it's Breath of the Wild's biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's totally Ubisoft. But no, I will take no Elden Ring slander of that nature. <laughs> uh, also, Hogwarts Legacy, it's going to be on everything. It's going to be on everything. Everyone's going to yeah. love it. And then everyone's going to hate it. No, know? I mean, it's going to yeah. be on every console. It's not just going to... But yeah, you're yeah. totally right. Everyone's going to be like, I hate this, but I paid for it. Exactly. Um, I. I will say, uh, some people just want that vicarious living in their 
fictional world that they don't because they hate the real world. And, you know, it does seem like as far as the whole, like, you could be an Avenger, you could be a Lego man, that this, they're putting a lot of work into this one. Yeah, I try, I had their, um, they made a, like, Deathly Hallows one for the, the, yeah. the Wii. I had that one, and that was poo-poo. Yeah. Um, where you could use the, the Wiimote <laughs> as a wand. I don't know what this will be like. I, I think their main goal is going to be that you want to be able to feel like you're at Hogwarts, right? Yeah. But I'm just like, all right, what's the gameplay? <laughs> and I still haven't seen it. Oh, it's shoot balls of lightning at other things. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem with a lot of those games, too, um, is their trailers don't go into gameplay. It's all, like, pre-rendered shit. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Remember, like, the last Uncharted where they, like, tried to say, oh, this is all uh, live and yeah. then, like, clearly wasn't. It was all, like, a cutscene. And, like, they just... <laughs> Bullshot is, like, genuinely, like, a terrible problem in the stupid industry. No, or it, it was recorded uh, in-engine, but it was recorded on optimized dev, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Fucking the supercomputer from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, anywho. Frustrating industry. Frustrating. To say the least. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to speak on that is also very frustrating is, Tim, you're not going to like it because it's an indie festival, but <laughs> it's a fascinating reason why Music Midtown, an annual music festival in Atlanta, Georgia, has been canceled this year. And it was just announced today. And the reason why it's been canceled this year is of a new gun law in Georgia where you can now carry a weapon, a handgun, openly or concealed in public spaces without a background check or a permit. Oh, that's fantastic. In Atlanta. Yeah. 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 So um, if, I, uh, yeah. if I got my hands on a gun, like, like a friend had it, and I was like, can I borrow it? I can just walk around? Yep. You don't need Seems any hard. documentation or anything. Hey, Chloe, you want to come up to Buffalo? For yeah, like exactly. Eight, nine months? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, um, so the whole Supreme Court shit is definitely, is obviously, like, horrible and psychotic and, like, just completely despair-inducing. Um, mm -hmm. And, like, the, the entire pretense of them actually caring about anything that they say is complete bullshit. Like, obviously, there was the Roe v. Wade, uh, 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 elimination whatever over overrule is the word i'm looking for um which is you know the the state saying what women can do with their bodies and dictating what they can do with their bodies and more or less about controlling the bodies of women um but they also don't give a shit about like states rights like they're implying that's why they overturned roe v wade uh because along like in that um supreme court uh period whatever the word is they also just said, oh, yeah, like, New York's gun laws are unconstitutional, and you can actually op open carry anywhere. So, mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah. It's yeah. bad. I can, I can imagine, I can imagine the incredibly gerrymandered South is going to have, like, just the most psychotic gun laws imaginable. In right. Like, it's... Well, and because, bad. so, like, these music festivals, they have Music Midtown, and then Shaky Knees is another big one. They're all held at Piedmont Park, which is, you know, a public, it's the city of Atlanta's public park. So because the city of Atlanta law is that you can carry a weapon, um, these music, music festivals can't then say no weapons allowed. And then it becomes a liability for musicians 
like you know they're not going to want to play if people are getting shot like yeah or if that's even a potential thing that could happen so it's like Ugh, it's just crazy. And then uh, Governor Brian Kemp, who's the guy who signed this uh, legislation into existence recently, he, his main reason behind it is he's like, oh, criminals are already stealing guns anyway. The, the criminals already have guns. So let's give the law-abiding citizens an opportunity to carry guns. I'm like, if you're a law-abiding citizen and don't have anything that would flag a background check you will have no problem getting a permit you know like yeah yeah why so why are you getting rid of the only thing stopping people from carrying weapons like it makes no sense well it's it's ultimately about like the american hyper individualism uh where they want to have as little state control over every aspect of life as possible um like obviously part of our capitalist condition and giving more power to corporations to like just let them do whatever the fuck they want which it sounds like could easily turn into like oh there's protesters let's just like mow them down um but also like putting the defense of individuals on the individual itself rather than having any support system whatsoever right um is just what they believe in um because they want to have the ability to dictate who and who is not allowed to live yeah. It's really just about domination of people at the end of the day. Ugh, it's so crazy. And I'm like, now I it, I just don't want to go like out in public anymore. You know, it's like Jesus Christ. And that's the fear as well. Yeah. That's I mean part of the hyper individualism is um to uh I guess again foreshadow something that's going to be talked about later. Mm-hmm. Um it's about uh, atomizing as many people as possible, as much as possible, so that they don't make genuine connections with each other, and they don't right. end up, like, trying to do something about the system that's, like, continuously oppressing them. And part of that is, like, making the populace feel unsafe, uh, even in their own, like, cities. What mm-hmm. I love is that these are the same people who are so anti- uh, government influence and government <laughs> override, and that's what they use to fuel this argument, right? Is that it's a mm-hmm. regulatory thing from a body that they don't want to support. But they're leading themselves to to 1984, right? Because they're creating a situation where they're gonna have to be even more monitored once the 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 the, the cyclical wave follows. Like this is going to be this is going to sound really downer, right? We're able to make guns with 3D printers. Yeah, we can print guns at home. Not we. <laughs> but. <laughs> cool uh, it's gonna be a big because i don't want them um, to know how much spongebob i watch there's literally more guns in the u.s than there are people there's more than 300 million guns in the u.s now i don't think there's a solution for this at all i think there is i think it's a very unfortunate solution because as technology progresses like even if it's benevolent well-meaning technology right look at uh well i guess nuclear started out as a weapon before it was ever an energy source but like like as the science progresses as the tech progresses we're going to reach a point where a dude can make a nuclear bomb and put it in a suitcase and walk into new york city with it right at home well, that's what they want that's the inevitability of just yeah. scientific progression without massive regulation so i don't see how society can possibly get to a point where we don't have cameras in our own homes and i'm not a big orwellian you know but i am a big 
chaos in a vacuum, like it's going to breed and the, and the science won't stop. So neither will the crazy people. Part of the problem is like, again, the, uh, the, the systems which drive people insane in the first yeah. place. Yeah. There was such a great political cartoon I saw today about a beaver going crazy in a chopped down forest and all the trees are stumps and the beaver's going insane. And the, and some politician is like, well, clearly this was a mental health crisis. But it's paying no attention to the fact that they chopped down its forest, you know? Like, just completely, a complete and utter ignoring of, like, the systemic structures that lead people to have said mental illness. Right. And not even doing, not even doing anything about mental illness anyway. Just, like, throwing it out there and being like, well, what can you do? Right. Go see a uh, therapist that'll take a year to get back to you and scheduling an appointment. <laughs> but even that, like, I, um, I feel like... If I ever read more psychoanalysis and stuff, I just feel like counseling service might not work anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I've, I've actually felt the same thing as of late. Like, yeah. I literally think, like, Bernard Stiegler or um, Mark Fisher, is that the name of that guy? Like, all yep. these amazing mm -hmm. intellectuals kill themselves simply because our psychology doesn't work. It doesn't, no. On the theory level, like once you're in this, like you actually learn these theories and learn the foundation of how things, like these people try to convince you, oh, this is how you're supposed to, you know, practice and whatever. What are you going to do if you, if you, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but w what are you going to do if you know more than your therapist? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> And a lot of the, gonna... the therapists aren't even that good. You know, trying to find yeah. a good therapist who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. So I minored in psychology my undergrad. I didn't and know this. So you know I... everything about everyone. Yeah, that's how I know everything <laughs> about you guys. And I analyze you 24-7. No, um, the whole reason why I didn't want to do it is because, like, I don't... I know that if I were to become a therapist and, like, listen to people's problems... I become like way too invested in other people's problems uh -huh. and like my life, like my personal life, everything about myself would just like go down the toilet. Anyway, that's why I didn't pursue that. But the main thing I learned there is uh, the most popular form of therapy these days is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? But the thing with CBT therapy is like it's not a really a talking therapy it's basically you do worksheets and like you're given exercises and i don't need to pay two hundred dollars an hour for a therapist to tell me to fill out a worksheet like once a week <laughs> yeah. you know i i thought the 200 was for the weed uh the problem i have with cbt though is it seems like it like how it's been explained to me, it sounds like it just, like, makes you be comfortable with your situation rather than, like, mm -hmm. trying to fix the situation itself. Um, that can be helpful for people, obviously, but, like, on a widespread scale, I feel like it's sort of what I said earlier, where, again, atomization of people, it's more about, like, living with the problem and ignoring it or, like, living with the problem and accepting it, even if it's a solvable problem, rather than, like, yeah, going in and fixing it or, like, understanding that there's systemic pro things that cause like your need to go through cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever like right. it doesn't it seems like it could easily be used and i think it is uh to kind of dismiss problems like people's problems and like systemic problems if that makes sense 
Yeah. Am I making sense? No, and especially if they're just like, oh, I'm going to therapy, like I'm fine. It's like, no, you're yeah. not. Like <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. It it feels like it's more about accepting the fact that it's going to be something that you live with for the rest of your life. And sure, in a case like, you know, let's say your child died or something, that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. But like if it's something like, I don't know, I experience uh, uh, I don't know. I'm discriminated against at work, for example. Like, if it's something like that, then it just sounds it sounds like it's more about being okay with that fact and not trying to say, oh, well, maybe I should. Or it. yeah, maybe I should find a new job or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. In a single conversation, we've touched on both sides of the coin, which is, um, the George Orwellian future or the Aldous Huxley future. Soma, baby. Right. I I hate to say it. Who are these people? I know George. I I know Aurelian. Who's the other person? Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World, which is oh, about really? self-medication and complacency and atomizing people, fooling them into feeling a sense of contentedness with their alleged role. I had to read that book in elementary school. That was a strange choice. I would argue our contemporary condition is more defined by it. it, Like 1984 doesn't really apply to us anymore. Like that's not really the way that power is structured in our contemporary society. Um, I mean, I'm fairly Foucauldian on this, uh, fortunately or not, but yeah, I I think I haven't read the book, but how it's been explained to me. Brave new world. Yeah. It sounds like Huxley was, was more accurate. I think I told you that, (laughs) which means you should take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) No, but I mean, like, I really think like, I read it when I was, you know, in middle school, and then I read it again a couple of years ago, and it just, it's, it's, it's cell phone the book. But I, yeah, Hanyu, I think you're right. I think psychology as a field, as a science, has a long way to go before it actually becomes helpful. Question, though, is it better than nothing, or is nothing better than a, a, a misguided attempt? I don't have an answer. I think there needs to be an understanding that science and especially something like psychology is not divorced from the historical conditions in which it exists under Mm -hmm. like there's this idea that science is objective and science is like the truth which is not the case like science is about updating it's about refining it's about changing um to adjust to what we perceive as the truth again Foucauldian shit like it's it's not an objective standard uh it's it's about trying to approach what the truth capital t truth is while understanding that you will never really truly achieve it that there's always going to be stuff that's left out um and that is so the case with psychology which is just blatantly about the socio-political conditions which it's under because people who are who need psychological treatment are going to be affected by the society of which they're raised under or that which they exist under uh the example i think of is hysteria Hysteria was originally defined as women not being subservient to their husbands, and it came around in the 70s, I believe, um, when there was, like, a lot of changes in the household and how, like, uh, family dynamics worked and were restructuring themselves. And the, um, the treatment for hysteria was orgasm. Like, it was husbands need to make their wives orgasm. So it's, it was this political concept of like men need to dominate their wives in response to women trying not to be dominated by their husbands it's important that people understand that psychology is a, is a science that needs to update and is influenced by wh- whatever situation it comes out of um i mean to go back to what i'm teaching this week like 
one of the things I'm teaching is that technology is never neutral. Like technology is arises out of the conditions in which, uh, which it's seen as necessary. And in a lot of cases, that's going to be along the lines of like swords into plowshares, which more or less means uh, technology starts in the military and then gets used for uh, civilian purposes. Mm. The point is, uh, I, I think psychology has this aesthetic of science that's deeply damaging in a way uh, without being understood that it's uh, a, a field influenced by yeah, the conditions in which it arises out of. Sorry for rambling for like 20 minutes. No, I will say that like the other, another big technique right now is, I, I'm sure you guys have all heard of it, is mindfulness therapy, which I do think is very yeah. helpful, but it's basically just meditation, like just a yeah. Western yeah. lens on meditation. So I'm like, well, I think the problem is that people's therapy very similarly, how do they see medication that you take it and you'll be fixed yeah. when instead mm -hmm. it's meant to company you on your journey and it's supposed to guide you you know yeah like medication is in a lot of cases is like it's a band-aid it's not a complete fix right um but it's seen as like a complete fix. but even the things that are like you know you get strep throat and you take whatever that ant that that bubblegum flavored antibiotic was that i loved when i was a kid Same. guys right. i think we're living in this like is there a term for like late neoliberalism? <laughs> late stage capitalism. Late stage capitalism. No, but but specifically more about late neoliberalism. That um, I don't think any anything can be fixed anymore. Like, mm. I feel like everything is just all about pain management. There's yes. no there's yeah. nothing that can actually anything i would venture to argue that we evolved in very small communities and our whole sphere of influence in the entire world was just the people around us and what we were able to witness for ourselves and, oh you're and going the, so far and the world now is way <laughs> bigger than that right yeah I, I remember hearing the 150 person rule i don't think it's that the world is in such worse condition than ever other than the climate stuff obviously but and, yeah. and that we have the capacity to destroy the whole world in a day if we wanted to. But I think tangibly, other than climate, I don't think the world is worse than it ever was. I think the world is just way bigger than it ever was, and that's way worse for us, you know? Um, I think the means by which information can spread, especially misinformation, I think the ability for that to happen has caused it so that the world is maybe worse in some ways. Like, it's obviously not like World War One situation where, you know, dudes are dying in trenches uh, of terrible illnesses. But we do, like, we do make pain invisible. We are atomizing people. Everyone wants to uh, have connections that they don't have access to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is a very, <laughs> is a very good conversation to talk about <laughs> what I chose for this week. Yes, it is. But first... <laughs> Famous, how was your uh, day? Whoa, 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 you're not the host. You're not the host. Oh, who cares? <laughs> what is the princess? Once upon a time, in a magical castle, the king's daughter was locked away in a tower. But these guys... With the wrong princess. Oh, um, it was a, a movie um, that is on Hulu. Um, it's like the classic, you know, princess locked in the a, a ivory tower, but instead of like Knight coming to rescue her, 
um, she kicks her, she kicks the ass of like a whole army on her way down to rescue her own family, uh, and then she becomes the king of her kingdom. Very fun movie, very good action, very nice. Um, I don't know what kind of accent it was, but it was either British or like Scottish, and I, I liked it. So okay. it was like a reversal of the trope where she saves herself by kicking everyone's ass. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. I, I've I've always enjoyed a good put foot up ass kind of kind of movie. Let's go. Very fun. Animated or live action? Uh, it was um, live action. Uh, well, because I'm not uh, a uh, movie buff, I I don't watch movies based on who's directing it. If I like what I see, I'll watch it. I got I think a documentary about Princess Diana, so I'm assuming that's not it, even though it came out this year. No, it is not. Has it been long enough since Diana to capitalize on Diana? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they care about how long. Yeah, it's but, Diana's yeah, always been mean? capitalized on. What are you talking about? Was it the whole? I mean, I guess it was the capitalized as it was happening. The new, yeah, There's certain tragedies the new, like we still don't have. We still it. don't have too many 9/11 clickbait movies. You know, like we don't. What is it? We, any... we have one. Aren't they like all the Avengers movies? Yeah. What, what do you movies? mean? No. Yeah. The one where they, they take are. over New York no, City. No, 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 no. I mean directly like this is this man's oh, 9-11 okay. story, you know? Oh. Uh <laughs> Remember Me? Oh, that's a t- I hate Robert that Robert Pattinson. movie. It, yeah, it was Robert Pattinson. <laughs> that does sound like a funny name. It is a relationship uh rom drom. Starring Patton Robin, Robert Pattinson. Uh, oh, I like him. Who I like him now. I didn't like him back then. I think he's awesome. Like he always knows. Like um, no, he's great now. He's yeah, he's a he great knows, actor. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's very like smart. Like choosing what kind of characters he wants. Yeah, to except for when he did Remember Me, uh, <laughs> which is Robert Pattinson in like a romance drama, like very cheesy almost chick flick status you know and it has nothing to do with 9-11 and then at the end uh there's a kid in a classroom and the board there's a shot on the board saying it's september 11th you know 2001 and then suddenly he dies in 9-11 and it had nothing to do with 9-11 and it came out in 2010 and i was like it hasn't even been 10 years (laughs) so then when is the statue of limitations for corporatization or right making money i guess to bring this conversation back around it is crazy that they're still like doing like they're still able to even make money off of princess Diana. well they just made spencer like what last yeah. year with that's why i'm asking like, like two in a row they're gonna keep on making it they, keep they were fascinated with her when she was alive fascinated when she died and we still will be Marilyn. and Marilyn too oh my goodness yep. that'll be an interesting thing at how that comes out i'm excited about that just to kind of see what it's about. NC-17 rating on Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Is that Anna de Armas? Yes. So for people who don't know, Anna de Armas will be starring as Marilyn Monroe on this new movie coming out on Netflix that will have an NC-17 rating because of a um, rape scene, I believe. But anywho, so it'll be interesting to see if, like, like, why do we need kind of like a dramatic, like biopic that includes such a rough rape? Se- like, I don't. It'll just be interesting to see how what the movie says and how it kind of plays out. Of a rape that I'm assuming actually happened. Right. Too. Yeah. Like that's 
kind of yeah. When's yeah. the last time you saw a movie that was so up its own ass that looked like it was telling you that hey, this movie needed to be made and it actually did? Like, did you guys see Green Book? Yeah. Oh no, I didn't see that one. Awful. I heard it was not yeah, awful. I heard it was not good. And it presents itself as this story that needs telling. And I'm like, I'm hurt that I've seen this. <laughs> It's widely regarded as like the worst. Uh, what what was it? Oscar. Uh, since Crash, probably. I would put right? this way worse than Crash. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, you need to see Green Book if you if you want to know. Okay. Also, it like takes its severity of the situation, and then it cuts to Viggo Mortensen eating a pizza, like a whole pizza pie, as a taco. Wow, this it's, awful. So <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. It's, Holy shit. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. Well, this reminds me that we should, like, watch something together that is horrible. Green <laughs> The Room. No. It's been done. No. The Room is a genius. It's been done. <laughs> I'm going to mention it every week until... Oh, okay. I think <laughs> I, I, I But wanna, The Room is wonderful. I want to watch Famous Watch The Room more than I want to watch The Room. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's. Well, yeah. It. That's that's. So you will be in a different room. <laughs> I'll be in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, famous. Hmm. How was your day? Joe Rogan, the podcast of oh, fuck. Um, what are we doing? <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Media Cup Podcast returning to you after that beautiful rendition of Famous's um, opera singing, which Ooh. Tim will be using as enabling uh, segue music today. Uh, yeah, Famous. I'm going to need an MP3 of that like tomorrow. Alrighty. Today, for our homework section, we have assigned you with watching Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, uh, which was produced and directed by John Boy. And I, I don't know Felix Biederman's role. I, that was him narrating, right? Uh, he was the narrator and writer, yes. My two least favorite parts of this uh, film. But, Tim, oh. from, from here, you can take Alright, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. So, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, as Jesse said, is a... Uh, five-part video essay that has sort of been uh, coalesced into a single supercut, uh, or as Famous said last week, a single uh, super uppercut. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> where um, all five parts go back-to-back. -back. I heard it today while editing. <laughs> uh, all five parts are back-to-back, -back, uh, and it plays as a movie that just happens to have, like, you know, pausing moments for the credits to go by when uh, the original episodes would end. Um... It is about MMA, but it's also not about MMA. There's a good joke in it 
where watching uh, a, a bootleg stream of a UFC match, uh, there's there's a pop-up that says something along the lines of, um, check out this, this MMA documentary, but it's actually uh, about the world or something. Um, and that's more or less what, what I, how I would describe it. The documentary starts from the origins of what they see as MMA, which they consider like the establishment of judo. And in the beginning of judo, they discuss the uh, founder of judo's quote-unquote uh, little man syndrome, where uh, a, a man who is short in, in stature, uh, who still wants to defend himself and prove that he is a uh, just as physically fit or just as large or just as fight-worthy as any other man, developed judo uh, to be designed towards a smaller body. Uh, it starts off with, if I remember correctly, um, uh, jiu-jitsu. Um, as that evolves into judo, as judo implements throwing techniques and the ability to uh, get people off guard, and then moves into how uh, the spread of judo around the world had influenced uh, countless people to not only start uh, start training in martial arts, not only study martial arts, uh, but also how when many martial arts came together and coalesced into a giant fight, uh, the first MMA match, um, it was more or less judo and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu through their uh, their throwing techniques and their chokes that um, that dominated. Again, going back to the, the smaller bodies thing, right? Smaller bodies use throws. It doesn't require complete strength. It can. It's it's more of a technical approach, right? Um, as it goes on, it studies how MMA has intersected with several uh, socio-political issues, socio-political uh, circumstances, uh, from its difficult rise uh, in, I believe, the 80s, uh, to Donald Trump, of all people, being uh, the savior of MMA at one point, and, and then they show Dana White speaking at the uh, Republican National Convention, um, how it was a respite from uh, an alienating world, uh, which people did not feel part of, or specific people did not feel as if they were part of, how it was a simple thing. You see a one man punch another, you understand that one man punched another and he fell, as they say in the, in the documentary. Rather than the complex issues that go on in the real world that are being more or less reduced down to simplicities when they're clearly not. Um, a big comparison this documentary gets is to the Adam Curtis documentary, Hypernormalization. I wanted to watch it in preparation for this, but I didn't have time. But one of the theses of hypernormalization is that um, that the world is a very complex place, and around the time of Reagan, around the time of Thatcher, uh, the breaking of the backs of the unions, we have progressed into a neoliberal uh, state, uh, which takes very complex issues, such as the conflict in the Middle East, and reduces it down to a fight between good and evil, right? So MMA is similar in that it starts as this very simplistic thing that people find enjoyment in, uh, a very specific group of people. They specifically point out that early people within the MMA crowds were white and male. Um, but as it tries to appeal to more and more people, as it uh, tries to attract a bigger and bigger audience, it ends up becoming this gray amorphous blob that doesn't end up fulfilling the role that it used to and doesn't provide what, it, uh, what people got out of it initially. Um, in conclusion, more or less says that this was this documentary wasn't actually about MMA. This documentary was about the progress that every single thing that's important to you ha will undergo under a neoliberal regime. 
um, and how the commodification of it, how trying to have infinite growth, how infinite expansion ends up hurting something in the long run and ends up uh, alienating what once made it good. So you can apply this this approach to maybe any anything, any hobby, any any profession, any whatever that people find uh, value in, and you'll probably run into a similar progression. Um, sort of like a case study in what our, what our socio-political condition has been over the past uh, 40 or so years. As maybe a starting question, um, I would like to ask you guys, is Fighting in the Age of Loneliness a piece of media archaeology? With MMA and with martial arts being the media which is being uh, archaeologized? I think... I think no. Uh, it's not particularly media archaeological, um, but it's definitely about history. <laughs> I think we would have to have Famous's favorite discussion, which is the question of what is media, right? Yeah. So I say it is because it had, like, timelines. <laughs> That's my only argument. But I think that was exactly the reason I think it is not, because how chronicle it was told and how coherent they weaved this um, history together. Um, okay. That's how I felt it works for a documentary to deliver a brief history of this sports in a very fluent and smooth way but if we examine it from the perspective of media archaeology i think it lacks um it lacks a lot of other perspectives for example like i think the biggest blind spot they uh, didn't cover i guess they did but not like explicitly is like how capitalism itself is inherently violent and masculine and they never talk about violence at all another one is that um i mean obviously they barely talk about any women um which is understandable and another fun fact i mean i could save it save this for later like i really don't want to use it as an you know argument for proving huh, it's not media archaeology do it, um, do it. But I did find something very interesting when I tried to like search MMA in Chinese on the internet. That seems like people attribute um, the development or the early stage development of MMA to Bruce Lee a lot. How like the the idea of mixed martial arts was like already proposed by Bruce Lee. Even including the um, the master of Bruce Lee. Uh, don't know if you guys know that guy. Hitmonk. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, they all like allocate this idea of no martial arts is bad. Like you gotta absorb everything into one. Like master whatever like is the best works for uh, the fight. Um, so that's pretty interesting because I didn't see many like sources in English cover about that. I wonder if it's something about nationalism. <laughs> like <laughs> they're like, oh, we gotta make it this, <laughs> make this Chinese in a way. But 
I mean, I I also understand it's a documentary that you I shouldn't expect it to cover everything about martial arts. <laughs> yeah, I do think there are more, even though I don't know much, but I do believe there are more to be discovered about this uh, other than chronicle listing of the history. I agree uh, with everything that you have said. Uh, my my uh, thing with, with media archaeology is that I'm more nihilistic about it. I, I don't expect any one thing to be a complete history, but enough things together will make a complete picture. I, I, I didn't expect this to be like a full MMA, like complete history. It's just a, a fragmented version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chloe, what do you think? Um, I agree with you. Like, I think it's a good documentary. I don't yes. know if it does a good job at doing archaeological work. Because, like, I mean, I get it. You know, one of the things with archaeology, we're, like, going against dominant narratives. But, like, you, they kept referencing that, you know, MMA is a bunch of like outsiders getting together but it's still this very linear progression of mm -hmm. how a company comes to win in a like capitalist society how like the white man still wins it does a great job of giving historical context on yeah. how that yeah kind of comes to be like, with media archaeology to me is like something surprising has to happen and I wasn't really surprised like any of the knowledge I gained from this documentary. Like it all just kind of lined up and it all like made sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Like then my question becomes like, Tim, why did you ask this question? Because like this documentary is just a documentary. It, it didn't intend to, you know. I mean, it's it's a little bit not fair to examine it from a media archaeology perspective. What prompts you ask that question? So my idea behind it being media archaeological was the fact that it is more or less a case study for a general trend that happens to many things. Right. Like right. Mm. Like I think the way in which it closes, in which it says. Um, this will happen to everything you love. Documentary not being about MMA reminded me a lot of, honestly, Foucault's writing where he looks at a, 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 a topic, but rather than um, analyzing that topic from a traditional historical perspective, he uses it as an example of a wider trend or a, wide, or like a different perspective on things uh, that is more applicable to a broader lens than what's being applied, right? Mm. So, for example, like, Foucault's concept of the panopticon, um, it certainly arises out of, I believe, discipline and punish being discussed on how like prisons are um, are established and how prisons have changed over time and how the concept of uh, prisons have evolved over time. The fact that punishment is perceived differently, the fact that uh, a lot of like the assumptions we have as a society about punishment have actually not been around that long, and have sort of uh, that concept has sort of been applied to talk about a broader issue which is the social structure of something like the panopticon i would also maybe argue that while i would agree as i said in like my description of it um that the the audience was very white very 
uh, uh, male and very middle class. And I, you know, maybe I should have thought of this more, but I didn't really, like, think of MMA as, like, the company. I sort of thought of MMA as, like, the, the sport itself, mm-hmm. which maybe that was a big blind spot, I admit. Um, but maybe ignoring those parts, uh, I, I do feel as if, like, the, the actual people who participate in MMA are, like, uh, like a very diverse group of people, not only in, like, the U.S. sense, right. but, like, in the world sense, yeah. right? So, you, so if you look at, like, an MMA card, you'll probably see a bunch of countries that yeah. you don't usually see. Because, as they say in the beginning, the urge to know that you won't get your ass kicked at any moment is, like, a global urge. Definitely a male urge uh, by default, but certainly, like, an urge that a lot of people feel, yeah. right? Mm. So, like, somebody who's on, like, a small island in the middle of the ocean is going to want to learn how to defend themselves. So I feel as if, like, the analysis of this history and bringing it all together and then tracing it back all the way to judo and showing how, like, there's sort of a reflection in the urges when judo was established to now and how, like, aspects of, like, the socio-political structures in which we live under have completely changed MMA makes it a bit archaeological for me because uh, they draw that lineage from inception of what they consider inception to modern day and showing, like, the trends that mm-hmm. have occurred. Mm-hmm. I'm repeating myself, but, Right, yeah. right. I do, I do think this would be, like, the documentary itself would be a great just document in a discourse on maybe even, like, one fighter. Like, mm-hmm. if we just had, mm-hmm. like, dug up an archaeology of... I can't remember the the master of jujitsu or something, but I don't think the documentary itself does a great job. You know, this is definitely serving as a piece of the lexicon. Yeah, it would be a part of a broader like research. That is the problem with media archaeology is that it's never done right because it's not done until it like finds a singularity. Had this been the media archaeology, it just would have meant that it didn't connect you enough. Like, it'll never be enough. So I think this totally fits in as a piece of something to further expand upon. Okay. Are we going to talk about Fight Club? <laughs> we don't talk we about We don't talk Fight about Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about Fight Club a lot when watching, you know, they were talking about how white and angry and middle class the audience are. Say, oh, this is Fight Club. <laughs> quick, quick, quick bit of background. Felix Biederman, again, the writer and narrator of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a member of Chapel Trap House, which is one of the most well-known like leftist podcasts. They have an episode where him and uh, John Boys uh, go on and then uh, discuss what the documentary was like and what the thoughts behind it. And um, one of the, uh, the, the hosts, I believe it was Amber, uh, literally says like i don't know how long it's going to be but we're probably not going to get through this episode without mentioning fight club right (laughs) because this is sort of like the real like version of fight club in a lot of ways and it's not as sexy as like fight club gets credit for by people who sort of misinterpret it but it is like yeah like what they say like we have nothing to live for and so we can only and we've only been taught to express ourselves through violence so we need to express ourselves through violence in like these secluded areas or this area where it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, I wasn't expecting that to be the end of that thought, Tim. <laughs> so that caught me off guard. I, I, I was with you. I just wasn't expecting the abrupt end. 
Well, Fight Club is satire, and that's the part that people don't understand a lot of the time. Is that that is a deeply damaging and a deeply debilitating point of view to have, but it's also a point of view that emerges because, again, like people's uh, socio-political situation leads them to believe that. That is something totally unrelated. Do you think more people don't understand that Fight Club is satire, or more people don't understand that American Psycho is satire? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> probably, probably Fight Club. I don't think I think less people think Fight Club is satire. I think American Psycho. Oh, this reminds me of Kings, uh, King of the Hill. People, there are so many people actually, they don't get it's making fun of them. Don't get that they're being laughed at. Yeah, oh. they, they genuinely love the show because they think this show is prizing. They love it as a slice of life as opposed to a comedy. Yeah, and that's like the ultimate problem that satire has. The other problem is you put Brad Pitt up, who's like, you know, a cultural icon, and they want to emulate, you know? Yeah. I mean, he is very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree. I feel like I should also clarify I'm not a huge Fight Club fan. Me neither. Uh, even knowing that it's satire. Are you a huge MMA fan? Well, I decided to do research this week, and I noticed that they um, they fired Dana White. I noticed that there was that there was an event that there is UFC two seventy seven. Mm. I guess I should go in a bit into my own background. I wrestled as a, a, a from fifth grade to tenth grade. Um, I left it because uh, the team was full of assholes. There was only really like two guys who weren't like just shitty people, in my opinion. And uh, there, I do admit that there is a, that there is felt like there's been something missing since then. I I did judo for a bit um, myself. Um, this was back during my re- when I wrestled, uh, and I did that to improve my wrestling. But I did get I did enjoy it. I did uh, get something out of it. But like really, uh, as a kid, I sort of dismissed stuff like WWE. I sort of dismissed um, MMA when that started coming up. And honestly, like, when I watched it, I had a really good time. I really enjoyed uh, watching MMA because it is, like, I think Felix puts it pretty well in, like, the, um, in, like, sort of the behind-the-scenes or follow-up podcast, whatever, in that, like, these are two people who have, like, studied each other for, like, months leading up to this moment. They're people who, like, understand each other maybe more in that moment than, like, anybody else understands that other person, uh, ultimately for, like, uh, an act of violence. But in that act of violence, there ends up being, like, an embrace at the end. At, like, sort of a we-did-it moment, as Felix puts it. And I, I, I think that there's, like, a beauty in that and a value, oh, right, yes. in this, like, consensual violence. The best fight of the night was the title card, in my opinion, which was Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena. Mm. Um, uh, fun fact, Amanda Nunez is uh, the first openly lesbian woman in MMA. Uh, she has, I believe, two belts right now from the re- little research I did. Wow. It was a fucking dogfight. Like, they went incredibly hard against each other, especially uh, Juliana Pena. Like, she was, like, taking on a, a, a ton of hits, like, constantly. Like, by the by the fifth round it went to f- the fifth round like it did not end in a tko it did not end in a ko it went to the end and by the end there was a moment where she was like laying on the ground like in bottom position and she was like you could see the blood dripping off her face it was leaking so much but she was still fighting and she was still going for it and she was still like i want to win this right i don't know i i feel like there is like some sort of like 
beauty in 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 that and the fact that like she had this much drive and there's this narrative that's going on between the two that she is willing to face this violence head on but ultimately at the end as i just said they like they embraced they hugged at the end like they there was a sense of like we did it when it was over that they went through like this they went through the trenches together to some degree they didn't see each other it's not like they trained with each other but like they sort of it ended in this giant event climax of like of of i don't know like again uh consensual violence and it's difficult it is genuinely difficult to describe like what other than that i found beauty in but like i don't know there was just something about it that was i don't know like 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 their embrace at the end and like the the catharsis that comes at the end of an event like that i i genuinely enjoyed uh, i had a great time like watching most every fight um but that one in particular like really stuck with me what you are describing tim ironically harks back to like the very beginning of the of the uh, film where they were describing like the um warring states period in japan and warring samurais and whatnot and like um the the honor of a battle it, it was less about you know actual warfare and like facing down an opponent that was supposedly stronger than you and trying to best them it, it, it was more of like fighting for beauty as the legends or myths and stories go as opposed to like just decimating um the opposing force which is what modern warfare is about bombing everything until there's nothing left so i i, I do understand what you're saying I mean, it, it's 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 not too hard to to describe but unless you've ever been in a fight it's it's hard to relay to like someone that has always lived at peace um which is what i think is like these people in these arenas n know more than like the average person like they've probably grown up fighting or practicing fighting so they know this feeling of like i want to put my foot up your ass but still i respect you for like challenging me yeah and um i got i i really got feelings from like when i was wrestling there is again like when you win a, when you win a wrestling match when you when you wrestle it is like this moment of like your brain like sort of freaking out and like trying to process what's going on and you trying to like sort of scramble and survive even if you like win to a degree i don't know that this this it, there's just like this cathartic feeling at the end of it all that i really don't know how to describe particularly well but like even watching a match like that watching two other people go through that obviously at a higher level than i ever achieved but like at a still going through like the same general feelings it, it i don't know like i i had a really good time and i was like reminded about like what i've been missing about um like the general feelings i've been missing from something like wrestling or something like judo and like the uh maybe the value in it so the next time i see uh, you on count campus tim am i going to be um <laughs> inadvertently thrown just so you can relive the feeling of, i was gonna of say wrestling. how do we get this out of him <laughs> yeah <laughs> honestly i think the way you get it out of people is you have these spaces like this right like you have these areas where it is justified and i do you know i'm not again i'm not advocating for fight club but i mean if like something like a dojo or something mm -hmm. like an event mm -hmm. where or a sport or something like that where there can be this cathartic release of this pressure that builds up within uh, within people the thing about like those about dojos and stuff is that there's rules and there's specific regulations that like come with the sport you know for example 
in wrestling you're not allowed to do a full nelson which is where you put both your arms under their arms and then push on their head right a full nelson is where you use both arms a half nelson is legal where you use one arm and that's because you can like genuinely like hurt somebody or break their neck if you do a full nelson too hard uh because you're pushing their head their head and neck down you need those you need those limitations and you need to hold people accountable for those limitations but I think if there's not an outlet for these types of feelings, uh, like that's productive, I would argue this was a productive outlet. Mm-hmm. Then, like I do think that you, it leads to people exploding, and I think that's part of the thesis of this is that people are about to explode, as we've sort of seen within the last, you know, forty years since neoliberalism has sort of taken over, without like a a real outlet for it, and like the outlets that the small outlets that do remain are being withered by modification right what if we solve politics this way like putting mitch mcconnell in a, in a half nelson <laughs> to vote on health care that'd be so that, yeah. that would be almost the roman way right yeah cool. gladiator gladiator rules well the, that was after like rome would hold public elections and <laughs> if they really hated them go to the lions <laughs> but tim i mean we're also the most sedentary we've ever been in our existence Sure. <laughs> sure. I've never. But the. Oh, go ahead. I'll just say, but those feelings haven't fully gone away. No, they? I'm saying we evolved running for you know, fourteen hours a day, <laughs> and on the move, and not meant to be sitting still most of the period, until after we had accomplished that, and we don't do any of it now. So there's there's definitely a chemical process involved in this need. You know. I ordered Grubhub today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did not go go like hunt down my right. You would you would die back. I was just gonna say I've never had a physical fight in my life. Really, you should try it. It's quite cathartic. I mean, at least mm, after not being a little kid. Um, but I completely agree and uh, with what Tim um just said uh, a little bit while ago. <laughs> Uh, about how this sports just looks so appealing to me in a very um, sensory level, uh, even like affective, from a very superficial level. Just by looking at the clips uh, from that documentary, I was like very impressed and amazed in a level that I didn't expect at all. Because um, watching like fighting games uh, is completely out of my experience. I've never watched like boxing or just, you know, martial arts stuff, like never. Um, and I've never like, like personally, like f- feel, always feel cringy in confrontation. So, but watching like two person fight in that way, which I have to agree with the narrative in the um, documentary that something so blunt and simple and right in your face is so appealing. And um, also, like, their moves are so beautiful, like, on the very straightforward way. Like, the, um, like I think I told you this last week. I think they 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 look really like um, street smart in some arcade game fighting games, like <laughs> some really beautiful kick and you know turning and I don't know what you call those moves. Um, but like 
yeah, at a lot of moments, I, I, I got it. I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Like, I want to watch this game, you know? And then, mm-hmm. it, yeah. yeah, and then it reminds me of this, like, I, ever since um, I had my um, really unfortunate car accident last year, I thought a lot about, like, I want to learn how to fight. Well, <laughs> the reason... The reason that prompted me to have this idea, which never happened in my life, like like I said, I always feel cringy when in confrontation, and it's because when the accident happened, I was, I mean, the other guy, like he um, hit, he rear-ended my vehicle while I was driving, and he came out of his car, start started yelling at me, um, and I. For the entire time, I remained silent and uh, very calm, just staying on my driver's seat and just staying in my car all the time, um, which is pretty fine. But you know, as a woman, you just never stop chewing on yourself and scanning yourself after something like that happened. You just start to scanning, like, what did I? Is that is that right? What what should I do? What should what I should have done? Um, to make me look not that weak or whatever, you know, you just never stop like examining yourself. And one thing to another, I start to think about how, you know, um, as a woman, you are disciplined and even domesticated in a way that uh, you don't confront. You do <laughs> you 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 feel like guilty or or shamed to you know um confront or have any instinctive reaction to things you always have to put your brain first and that just one thing to another i started to think about how you know spending my life uh reading books and studying <laughs> and uh also including the um uh, history of never really you know play video games <laughs> and stuff like that one thing to another i just uh realizing this is something i lack in my um personal development that i don't have any experience of like something so straightforward about confront confronting and I really want to learn how to fight. And <laughs> I told my boyfriend, and he made fun of me because uh, he thinks like doing such thing is so stupid that gonna get you brain damage, uh, which <laughs> which I understand. But also, I think he didn't get the point that I was expressing is that part missing in my personality that i really want to sort of learn does it make sense to y'all oh yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. like i've been going through some stuff recently i won't go into detail about it but um it has resulted in me sort of reevaluating my own masculinity and sort of thinking about like okay how do i define it Mm -hmm. what have i what assumptions have i sort of based myself on and i still like I don't know how to word this. Um, there's there is an expectation for like I I'll, I'll take the other side of it, not to like sort of minimize it, but there is like this expectation of like to- like toxic masculinity. If we're gonna get straight to the point, 
there is this expectation that men also perform a particular way, that they fulfill a particular gender role, that they are aggressive all the time, that they don't experience particular forms of happiness, that blah, 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 you know, the, out of fear of being called gay, out of fear of being called uh, non-masculine, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I do think that has, like, a, a detrimental effect on, on men. A, a thought that's sort of been going through my mind lately, because... Uh, I've sort of been like looking at like the manosphere and like what they're thinking of right now because I do think that whole thing is like really scary right now in a lot of ways. Do you want to kind of uh, tell us what the give a brief overview of the manosphere, like what that is? Sure. <laughs> Big size. Um, so, <laughs> more well, more or less, but like the manosphere, you can like broadly describe as like the the the. It's mostly on YouTube. It's mostly on social media. Whatever, of like men who feel as if like traditional masculinity is dying and i would sort of agree with that but let me finish my point before you start yelling at me about <laughs> no it. keep going there it's it's figures like gary v and jordan peterson and fresh and fit and all of these guys the manosphere like if you watch it it's like they are so like not in a good place right now like all of them and like all of these guys are like they're all just scam artists mm -hmm. they're all just like trying to coddle other men ironically enough into saying that traditional masculinity is a good thing that it's not uh damaging to you in any way that you need to be stoic all the time that you need to bear this cross of masculinity on your back and then hold that through you as you go through life uh and that's actually a good thing this is like a ben shapiro thing yeah ben shapiro would fall into it but like I mean, ironically enough, looking at Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, you wouldn't exactly call them the most traditionally masculine based on, you know, what they look like, <laughs> their size, their their athletic fit, uh, fit the, the fact that, like, they're kind of, uh, Jordan Peterson, like, cries all the time about weird stuff and, like... Oh, really? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and Ben Shapiro, like, fucking, um, is, he, he's a fucking dork. <laughs> he's, like, the biggest fucking dork in the world and... But, like, they, they uphold this idea of masculinity in order to, like, coddle these other men. And the reason that they're so successful is because it feels like there's not really other avenues for a lot of these guys to go through. Sort of because masculinity in some ways is dismissed or seen as, like, a purely negative thing. And I would say that there's a shift happening, that there's changes. And that there... The way I've been thinking about it is that there's a crisis of masculinity... But it's the exact opposite of what Peterson's arguing. P what Peterson does, what Shapiro does, what Fresh and Fit do, what whatever, all of those guys do, is the crisis of masculinity. It is the violent, uh, the violent, uncontrolled, like, expression of anger and, and, again, violence, because that's all that they've been taught is okay, uh, in reaction to the changing gender norms and like a, a shift in like what masculinity means as i was sort of talking about with myself i don't think i might be wrong but i don't think this is a purely me thing i do think that like this is a process that a lot of people are going through and to sort of tie it back to the documentary i think you still need these controlled areas of of consensual violence i think you'd need to like sort of maybe degender them a bit Again, like, I think the women's MMA fight, the one that was showing was the best one, and it was the, the, the most uh, exhilarating and, like, the most, uh, the fight I was the most into. Um, but, like, you also need to address, like, this, this, this terrible point of view. I sort of wanted to save this until I ran into you guys in person, but, like, I try, I've been trying on nail polish, right? Ooh. 
and last night I sort of was thinking about it, um, and I just, it, it's just, it's fucking ridiculous that because I want my nails to be black right now, that that's somehow, like, me having to come out as gay, mm. right? Like, if it, it's coded as gay, mm -hmm. when, in realistically, like, a straight man should be able to do that without people assuming he's gay. And I do think that's sort of like a toxic masculinity panopticon of men enforcing uh, traditional masculine roles onto other men and then like sort of being scared into that role by other men that they feel like they're going to be punished for. Um, again, I'm sorry to ramble <laughs> on so long about this. Oh, go for it. But the point is, I think gender norms are changing. I think the crisis of masculinity is a reaction to that, a negative reaction to that, whereby violence is the only means in which they can express themselves because that's what they've been taught. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that if you really look at like the basis of toxic masculinity, it's just like pure repression of the self and like self-expression, but like it's what is expected of men. So I don't know. I have nail polish I can lend to you. I was going to ask what color is <laughs> if I didn't know what color. <laughs> I mean, I have the same. I have the same standard. With my shirt. The aesthetic isn't going to change. <laughs> Black or red only. I have red. No, I was just going to kind of shift our our conversation from fighting itself to the institution of the UFC, um, and kind mm -hmm. of tell you guys about this concept I ran across recently called vicarious management. Um, it was put forth by this guy. Thomas Oates, he studies, uh, well, his research interest is sport media. He works out of um, University of Iowa. And he wrote this book um, called The NFL Critical and Cultural Perspectives. And in it, he outlines this idea of vicarious management of the NFL. And so basically, he argues that the culture of the NFL um, allows the fans to identify with the institutional regimes of the NFL and those authorities mm -hmm. that conduct them rather than the athletes themselves, which then, you know, allows this proliferation of using professional athletes as assets, commodities, and kind of promotes just that cultural economy of sport. So I think we could mm -hmm. kind of apply that to the UFC and what the UFC is doing, especially with their churning out of athletes. Um, and the problem with vicarious management as well, you get it, I mean, the NFL being bigger than the UFC, but the whole idea of fantasy sports, like mm. where you can build your team of the best players. Um, so you don't even give a crap about the athletes themselves. They're literally just like, pieces exactly and that's what the institution yep. then does to you know we we've been talking about how great having an outlet for fighting is but what the institution of the ufc is doing is you know commodifying commodifying it um yeah yeah so well, yeah, that's just, inherently the goal of organized sports yeah I'll keep this light because I've rambled on way too much already. Um, Not enough, Tim. Not enough. One, one. <laughs> when I watched the UFC, the thing, the commercials that they had the most of were of two things that are more or less the same thing. The first was crypto, 
and the second was uh gam- like sports betting mm. which is literally what you're yep, describing yep. like not seeing them not seeing them as people not seeing them as athletes but seeing them as just outcomes that you can gamble right the, the sp- again commodification turning the ufc into a speculative market like everything else is being turned into again crypto that's literally like what the purpose of crypto is this sorry the second thing and this will be even quicker there's the part where they show that dana white himself is incredibly <laughs> insecure mm-hmm. he is mm-hmm. he is so insecure <laughs> about his own masculinity and the fact that he feels as if he has to like show people yeah him. wait which part all of it well when they introduce dana white like there's that part where like there's the the scroll through twitter and then there's like dana white yelling at someone for saying oh i don't like dana white i don't remember <laughs> i do it's pretty quick part i mean the insecurity yeah. is inherently linked right yeah we say this by the way on the precipice of the mlb trade deadline where players are distilled to their absolute uh, perceived value from the team owners and then literally traded yeah ownership of the player and I only know that because I'm a massive baseball fan. <laughs> I always forget this. I remembered my third thing. and I promise I'll shut up after this. Famous, I do think you in particular, you should consider watching what I do? the rest of John Boy's stuff. Okay. Because on, like, John Boy's helped me understand why people like sports and what people get out of sports. Oh. And that stuff is really applicable towards games as well. Like Because sports are games, having like that basis of Here's what people get out of this pointless activity. Here are like the narratives that come out of like a pointless activity is so applicable to video game theory in particular. Um, and it's like really helped me in terms of like my studies with like game game studies. It does go back to like the point I made earlier that sports act as like an outlet of like conflict that is that doesn't have stakes other than like within the sport, right? Like the, the the classic magic circle theory put forward by um, Johan Hoisinga in terms of like his analysis of sports is that the magic circle exists within games and the magic circle has rules that are different from the universe in which we live in, in which a, a ball rolling into a net has value because it has narrative value rather than just something that happens. The fact that we can frame it within this space is where the value comes from. But when you go out of it, again, like, the stakes are, I mean, sometimes they bleed over, obviously, but the point is that, like, sports provide an outlet for conflict that we feel as if we need without the violence of something like war. I agree, agree with you, Tim, but I will make a slight modification of, instead of outlet outlet for conflict, I uh, view it as a uh, outlet for competition. Um, because sports... Okay. Uh, require an opposing force, and the reason why I don't like sports because I don't like other humans. Um, so the concept <laughs> of like me watching a game isn't the fact that I'm bored with the sport. I'm bored with like the interaction of these two teams fighting for a victory. I don't care which which one wins or the other. It's it, it's the competition that bores okay. me. So that's why I like games that I play solo because I don't have to be a competition for anyone. <laughs> I just have to play the game and enjoy it. But I totally get. What you're saying, Tim, I just wanted to make a distinction between conflict and competition. I agree. I drop multiplayer games for that exact reason. Dota 2 killed yeah. me. But I would still <laughs> yeah, recommend yeah, yeah. going I'm through it. Check it, out. it. It definitely helped. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. I just, I want to make the fourth point. I don't like competition. Or, I, yeah. Fair. Conflict. Did you watch Dead Birds? There's a scene where these kids are playing 
a game and it's a sport and they're using blunted spears and they're throwing at each other and there's also a ball of some sort it was like steal the bacon with spears what is steal the bacon google steal the bacon <laughs> steal the bacon is was an anti-jewish uh oh. no just kidding um <laughs> you know, I you, believe it. You you got me there. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> no, I wasn't gonna it's challenge all, it. It's, it's all good. Um, no, they're they're playing. It's 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 a competition and it's and it's a war. It's basically training for war. Like it was a game that was totally invented to train you to go to war with tribes. And we're watching it, and like six people chimed up, and they were like, "Isn't this football? Doesn't this look exactly like football?" <laughs> like. Isn't the root of what they're doing training for war? Like, uh, I think the conflict yeah. argument is inherent. Much greater stakes. Like the early history of Olympics. Of like all sports, really. Like lacrosse, yeah, right. too. Yeah. Oh, I love baseball. Is <laughs> this so slow? It's, it's nothing. Yeah. No. Have you ever seen George Carlin talk about baseball versus football? No. No. I'm going to no. link it later. Okay. Um. It's it's this great bit about football is played on a gridiron where you have to invade the other person's territory. And in baseball, you get to go home. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I am posting a link in chat of a Japanese-style war game uh, similar to Capture the Flag, but it's like topple the <gasps> pole. I've seen it's, this. Yeah, it's like, this. Yeah, like th- th- this is literally like... What you're talking about? There's a team that that's defending this pole, and the other team just runs at you, tries to mantle on top, and take that your ass down. It is so violent. <laughs> there is no padding, I don't think. But I've always wanted to try it. Doesn't this look like Best Buy on Black Friday? Uh, honestly, <laughs> well, not anymore. But <laughs> now it's online. Uh, the TV on top of the pole, yeah. They don't have good deals anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Tim, is, is, is this your uh, sanctioned uh, section for violence? Black Friday at Best Buy? I think that's the one time you're. <laughs> no, I do, not, I do not. No. I think no, because that's. I think if they added no, because, a scorekeeping oh, angle, oh. then it would be valid that you walk away with a great TV. <laughs> I, I, I'm kidding, but I I also think that's kind of funny. Okay, one more thing about the documentary is that I mentioned this to Tim, and Tim disagreed strongly. <laughs> I, what a setup! What a setup! I don't, I don't enjoy the infographic aesthetics of the documentary. Mm. It looks too prezzy, pre- prezzy. I'm yeah, saying, yeah, yeah exactly prezzy. Like, it's just so much spinning. It makes me really dizzy. I like. Oh, well, that, that's kind of has the M- MMA fire feel. I'm assuming. Uh, so minor background on that. Uh, if I remember correctly, John Boyd uses uh, Google Earth. He does. Mm. So he just uses like a custom uh, Google Earth map that he then overlays all of his information on. And then yeah, again, I do like the Google Earth part. I think those are like look look really great. But just the infographics are just oh my god. In his his most recent video, uh, he talks about there was a football game. I'm forgetting which city, uh, but a, a a like a single person plane crashed into the stands five minutes after the game ended. Um, and one of the things he does for that is he plotted out the route for like the, the way that the plane took 
and then you fly through it uh, oh. right before <laughs> That's so cool. Very good <laughs> That's video. Cool. Very good video. Incredibly tense the entire time. Uh, totally worth watching. Look, I, let me get this out of the way. Well, <laughs> let me get this out of the way now that we're probably almost done. This is maybe my favorite video essay. Um, I feel as if I watch a lot of them. I'm a, I, I understand that that makes me a dork in a lot of ways, uh, that video essays aren't easy to trash on, that YouTube itself is easy to trash on uh, in many ways justifiably, in other ways less justifiably, in my opinion. Um, but this is maybe my favorite video essay. Uh, and I think currently John Boyes is my favorite uh, video essayist. And that's coming from somebody who, again, doesn't give a shit about sports, just watched his first MMA uh, match ever in his life, uh, but, like, he really does a good job at letting you understand why, like, why people like sports and what the narrative that, like, people have latched onto is. Mm -hmm. I even teared up a couple times, man. That was good. Very good presentation. Thanks for the wreck, Tim. Right. It was great. Yeah. Nope. No problem. Uh, okay. Me. We rate this Any... documentary. I'll give maybe four stars out of, out five. of what? Oh, okay. <laughs> out of ten. Any last thoughts? Any anything? Anything anyone else wanted to say about this before we wrap up? Do you ever think there'll be a world without um, MMA? Without UFC, like probably at some point. Without <laughs> MMA, I think there's going to be martial arts as long as human existence <laughs> live exists. It's the yeah. basic, easiest kind of fight. Not easiest, technically, but I mean uh, least resource-intensive <laughs> kind of fighting. It and, like, running are, like, the most, base th like, the most base competition that humans can have. So I don't think that it'll... I don't think martial arts will ever go away. I thought it was fine dining um, and breathing. As Hanyu said earlier, there's, like, almost, like, a, a dance-like quality to it. I mean, they literally say that uh, John Jones did a Street Fighter head kick to win a fight. So, like, there is, like, this this expressive, this is who I am, this is how I fight, this is what you get out of me type of thing in a fight. So, I, I, I should have... I've rambled no, quite a bit. This you're episode. fine. I should have rephrased. I meant televised MMA. But, yes, I agree. Oh, televised? Um, I think there'll... I don't know. I think there'll always be a... A market for this or like people will always be interested in watching fights um although in my entire high school career i only like walked over to like one fight uh behind a church um behind a church oh wow <laughs> yeah we had a we had a church across the street and that's like where and you know it was like okay so it was directly across the street from like the place that people got out of at my high school um so it was just like the quickest way but like because we were behind the church and because the church itself wasn't usually active especially at that time i think everyone was just like well we're covered because the school can't see us from here and it's not too far and it's in the eyes of god so it's it's sanctioned <laughs> it was like god was god. like checking in who won god gonna gonna hold their chain and ask look what you've done <laughs> The, the pastor was behind the church watching it too, betting, betting money. What's next week? Uh, Who's next week? Famous. Hi. Do you have anything in mind? Sorry, I probably should have told you. <laughs> surprise! No, I, <laughs> I, I was assuming we were going in our order. Um, I will post a thing, but this, uh, or I guess next time, I wanted to take a look at uh, Black Satire Media. 
So I'm going to try the episode of the Boondocks. Oh, yay. Love it. I'm thinking maybe... You, you, you're going to enjoy Hanyu. It's very up your alley. A, a okay. I guess that's the end of this. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Nobody couldn't do nothing once he let the brick go And you know I know that's a bunch of snow The beat is so butter Peep the slow cutter as he uttered the calm flow Don't talk about my mom, Joe Sometimes he rhymes